The first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 45, starting to read at verse 1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armour, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honour, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know and there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And the second reading is from Matthew chapter 22, starting to read at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar? or not. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God, what is God's? When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody, and thank you very much to, your, uh, to Matt for his very warm in invitation. Um, I, have to, I have to say and uh, make one small correction. I have been here before, and some you may not remember, but I was actually called in at the 11th hour to deliver somebody else's sermon, <laughs> uh, one of our colleagues at St. John and St. Philip. So um, it was very good to be with you, with you on this occasion, uh, on that occasion, and also today. And I have to confess also that I thought that I would be giving Matt the day off 
Um, but no such thing. Uh, as you know, he's a man of many talents and he's turned, his, uh, turned to the keyboard this morning to lead us in song and worship. So that's tremendous. And I'd just like to start um, by, by praying. Thank you um, also for praying for, for my family, but pray for Matt's family um, this time. Heavenly Father, uh, we give thanks for Matt and his ministry here, St. James, and for the church family here. And we pray for uh, Matt's own family, for Dirk Jan and Tony, and for Lizelle and baby Ezra. Pray your blessing on them this, t- this hour and in the coming weeks. Amen. Money makes the world go round. It's a truism, you've heard that said before. Our lives depend on money, and it's the driving force behind most of our decisions and our actions. But money comes in many different forms, and the type of currency we deal in makes a huge impact on our lives. Now, I've been working recently, yes, as a distinctive deacon, uh, in mission, as a chaplain to the port of Rotterdam, alongside Dennis, who you've heard uh, speak uh, in the past as well. Now, a seafarer was telling me the other day how important it is to the economy of the Philippines that he is paid in US dollars. You know, his taxes go to the government, and that's great. The US dollar speaks volumes. His whole way of life, being away from home and family for up to nine months at a time, is shaped by that decision to sign up to this currency, the US dollar. And that's a choice, as you may know, that enables our way of life, ensuring that goods are brought every day from all over the world to the port of Rotterdam, before being fast-tracked via Amazon Prime to our homes. All of these things we take for granted, I'm sure at times, I do. Much of his work is hidden And much of the work of seafarers is hidden. And there's something in common with the words on the side of this coin. Now, I can't guarantee that your coin, the two euro coin, will have these words, but it ought to. It ought to. Uh, Because I discovered the other day that Holland is the only country in the monetary union which uses a religious inscription on its coin. God sein met oms. I hope I got that right. Um... May God be with us, it says. Yeah, on the, on the slide. And I discovered, too, um, that the reformed political party, this SGP, uh, cam- campaigned for it to be included in, um, in, on, on its coins. Where I think when countries joined the euro, they had you know, the choice to make their own design, didn't they, at that time? Well, religion and politics, as you know, are part of the founding charter of the Dutch Republic, um, which was right, goes back to 1581. And in those days, uh, the quotation from Romans, if God is with us, who is against us, appeared on coins at the time. So that's the longer version, if you like, of the one we have today. If God is with us, who is against us? 
Now, I'm not going to preach on that verse from Romans because it's uh, rich in its own right, isn't it? But um, coming back to the coin, it reminded me that the government in which church and state are separate uh, still can make room for God. So church and state may be separate, but there is room for God in, in, in the constitution of this country. And that's, that's a really good thing to, to cling to. Well, fewer people, as we know in our, in our society, may recognise the reality of God's existence at all. But his name is inscribed there on the edge of the coin to safeguard forge, against forgery, uh, clipping and so on. And that's a neat reminder, I think, of the need to safeguard the integrity of our relationship with money. And to remember that the point, the ultimate source of authority is our creator God. As Psalm 96 verse 5 declares, For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So to turn to the gospel today, that, the question that's raised for us, I think, is how do we hold together obedience to political authority with our Christian duty to honour God? That seems to be the question that's put to Jesus. In the time of Jesus, living under Roman rule in the first century, the Jews had no choice but to change their money in order to pay Caesar's tax. They had to change their own currency to pay Caesar's tax. And coins, therefore, were a very powerful symbol, a tangible reminder of who was in control. The name of the world's most powerful man inscribed on the coin bore the title Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And in our own times, as we handle coins less and less, I wonder then if we are a little bit less connected with our currency, but more on that later. Let's just dive into the um, into the gospel a little bit and put it into context. Well, Jesus has entered Jerusalem in triumph, as you remember, but now finds himself under intense pressure from all sides. Enter the Herodians and the Pharisees, two groups, an unlikely alliance. You wouldn't expect them to to agree about anything. But they plot to trap Jesus using using words. First, they flatter him, Teacher, we know you are sincere. They don't really mean that. Then they follow this up with a cynical question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And interesting, the word Jesus uses to describe them, hypocrite, um, in the Greek, it's actually hypocrites, so it's very close to our word hypocrite, but it actually meant play actor. It's used of actors in the theatre who wore masks to disguise their identity and to maybe to exaggerate their features. The point is that they are only concerned about appearances. He knows what they are up to, Jesus does, as they put him in this seemingly impossible dilemma. And of course the coin, the denarius which Jesus shows his opponents, highlights this insincerity. For the Herodians were probably supporters of the Roman client king, Herod Antipas. They've already kind of sold out to the Romans. They're already, you know, lined up with them, carrying their coins in their pockets. 
And as Jesus, as, sorry, as the Jews had to change their money um, in order to pay Caesar's tax, we know that the Pharisees would have been used to handling the currency as well. But they have no qualms about using pagan money and are carrying a coin bearing the emperor's image in the holy precincts of the temple. So what does Jesus have to say about this? Will he endorse their practice? Of course, they want to provoke Jesus to blasphemy, to expose him as unfaithful to God's commands. We were reminded of these commands today. You shall have no gods before me, no other gods before me, and you shall not make yourself, for yourself, an idol. <clears throat> so if he shows allegiance to the divine emperor, the Pharisees will proclaim him an idolater. But if he fails to show obedience to the emperor, the Herodians will proclaim him a traitor and guilty of sedition. Of course, that is eventually what happened in, in his trial. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, it would seem. But Jesus steps over this trap. First, he confronts their hypocrisy by getting them to show him a coin. Then, using the argumentative style of a, of a rabbi, of a Jewish teacher, that was the teaching in which he was trained, Jesus answers a question by asking two other questions. Whose image... Whose inscription are on this coin? <clears throat> well, the answer, of course, is the divine Caesar. Just about see it there, yes. So he concludes simply, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. In other words, fulfill your duty to Caesar, but give to God the honour of being God. Well, I just want to pause for a moment to think about those words. And perhaps we may hear some irony there. Give to God the things that are God's. What precisely is it that doesn't belong to God, seems to be the point. And is not the task for us then to see everything we do as bringing honour to God's name? Well, as I mentioned before, the story contains a tension which won't quite go away, a challenge. How are we to be obedient to our political masters while remaining faithful to what God is calling us to be in this world? How do we live out our true identity as citizens of heaven, to use Paul's phrase? And how can we be faithful to God's authority over all parts of our lives? For the reality is, that too often the gods of the nations, idols, render his name obscure. Now those Amazon Prime uh, vans that we see zooming around our neighbourhoods are a daily reminder of how our material desires can overwhelm our spiritual lives. Recall then the challenge to Jesus to uphold the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make yourself for yourself an idol. <clears throat> Dethroning deities is one way I've translated the, um, <clears throat> the psalm. One way that can be translated. Dethroning deities requires us to confront the forces at work in our lives that unseat God from his throne. 
Now, a few years ago, it was a Lent book. Some of, may, some of you may have studied this, perhaps. Uh, the, the title was Dethroning Mammon, Making Money Serve Grace. Archbishop Justin Welby argues that when money exercises supreme power, when it is enthroned, it becomes mammon. Evil, destructive and dangerous. It needs removing from that position of power in our lives. But the good news is that as Christians, we worship a God who laid his power aside for us. Who stepped down from his almighty throne to be among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So I think as Christians, we can say that we have our own currency. That currency, of course, is grace. The gift of Jesus, a costly grace, but a a gift given freely nonetheless. Now, when reflecting on this passage from the gospel in his confessions, St. Augustine of Hippo remarked that Jesus paid the tribute. That is, he sold his body. He paid the ultimate price of his life for us. It's good to be reminded of that. And I quote from his work, The Confessions. He himself, the only begotten, was created to be wisdom and justice and holiness for us. And he was counted among us. And he paid the reckoning, the tribute to, to Caesar. It's Jesus, if you like, that stands in the breach for us. Now, there's another reminder of this reckoning, this sacrifice uh, to Caesar at the cross on which Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. The charge against Jesus at his trial was also in the form of an inscription. And in that case, it was a title placed above him on the cross, which bore the words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's in Mark's Gospel, not Matthew's, Mark fifteen twenty six. In his dying, he confronted the earthly power of Caesar. And in his rising again, he won the victory over death for us. In laying down his body, Jesus saved us from the wages of sin, that we might have life and life eternal. And in being subjected to torture, abuse and disfigurement, he restored the divine image in us. How then, brothers and sisters, are we to respond to this great love, which in the words of that great hymn of our faith, demands my soul, my life, my all? How can we ensure that the image on the coin is not a human image, merely a reflection of our needs, but of our true selves, created in the image of God. And as we strive to follow the pattern of our Saviour, how can we offer our lives to God more fully as we come into his courts with praise? Well, I wonder if I could just ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Uh, You've had a lot to think about and digest, for one thing. Um, Let's just close our eyes for a moment. 
and think about what that might look like. Somebody offers you a plate at the offertory. You give a few coins. The plate comes back. So you give a little more. And the plate comes back again. This time you put in your card. After all, we're living in a cashless society. We don't all have cash with us. And the plate returns again. So each time you add more. Car keys, house keys. Eventually, the clothes that you are standing in. Trousers, shoes. The plate comes back again. Finally, you understand what is required. Slowly and carefully, you climb into the plate yourself. Well, I'm borrowing that from um, a source, and it was originally performed as a mime. You can open your eyes now. But that is, that is what offering, I think, offering ourselves to Jesus really looks like. Uh, putting ourselves there. And as, uh, as the Bishop of Oxford point, points out, God does not seek our possessions. Maybe that's a relief, is, is it? God is not looking for a tip in the form of our loose change or even a tithe in the form of our regular giving. God invites us to give our whole selves in response to the love of God poured out and demonstrated through Jesus our Lord. By offering our own lives to God, we turn the wish that God be with us into a reality. So when it comes to our giving, it might be helpful to think of the image on, this, on our own currency as bearing the body of Jesus. Or perhaps, if you prefer, the face of our neighbour. But being generous to others demonstrates our love of God and confirms the truth that all are created in the image of God. Then let us strive to live generously, seeing everything we have given as given in trust rather than as possession. For it is in that spirit that we enter into the fullness of life with Christ. Giving more might just mean living more. Perhaps we should try that out. And as we work for the kingdom, we know, we have the assurance that we have a generous God who is at the source of all that we have. And so as we go through the week exchanging these coins for goods, let us remember that we have our own currency, that of grace. For this coin reminds us of that wonderful truth and the hope that is to come. May God be with us. Amen.